Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to tell you about this podcast. It's called The DK Project, but it's really The Darren Show. The DK Project is a radio show, but without the radio. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Let's go! Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The DK Project. Another new episode for you today. Today's episode is... Jean-Pierre Ginoli. For those of you who aren't aware of this guy, he is an up-and-coming superstar on the rise. He was just in the movie Ford vs. Ferrari. He's, he's a rap artist. He's also a ghost hunter. Boo! <laughs> we had a lot of fun with it. This guy was very interesting. A lot of stories to tell. Uh, you want to check out his website. You want to check out everything about this cat because he is... Uh, he is uh, on the rise, so make sure you make note and uh, and check it out. It's a great episode. Be aware there is a little bit of noise in here because uh, again, it's a it's a Zoom thing, and uh, you pick up a little uh, background noise. A lot of these guys don't have studios, so they're not uh, the right sound level. But check it out. Without further ado, Jean Pierre Ginoli. It's that time again, folks. Time to enjoy summer, and what's more, summer than ice cream. The Lost Lake Creamery is open. We have made some changes for your safety during these difficult times, but we still have 24 flavors of ice cream, shakes, malts, and root beer floats. Check out our new website at lostlakecreamery.com. You can bike, boat, walk, drive, however you want to get here. We are located at 5575 Shoreline Drive, just off the Dakota Bike Trail in the Harbor District of Mound, at the end of the Lost Lake Channel on the north end of Cooks Bay of Lake Minnetonka. Open every day. Stop in and see us today. And remember, ice cream fixes everything. Hey, everybody. Wanted to let you in on a little secret today. Dent Craft of YZ. If you have teenage drivers like me, you know about the magical dent fairy that strikes when no one's looking. I recently brought my car into Dent Craft with a dent on almost every panel of the car. A body shop would have cost a fortune, and they would have reported it to my Carfax. Not at Dent Craft. It was a fraction of the time and a fraction of the cost, and the car looks brand new. Go see the boys at Dentcraft in Moisetta. They're located just off of 394. They're a small business that gets it. Customers come first. You'll be amazed. Check them out on the web at dentcraftpdr.com. That's dentcraft with a K, pdr.com. Or call 952-473-8000. Tell them you heard about it on the DK Project. All right. Welcome back, podcast fans. We have got a special guest on the line today, Mr. Jean-Pierre Ginoli. Skype it in. Where are we finding you at, Sarge? Los Angeles, California. Oh, oh Los Angeles, the Sun City. Are you uh, in permanente lockdown or what? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you guys do anything, are they? Uh, I mean, you can do stuff. It's only sadly like the major like stores are open, things like that. But pretty much we're on lockdown. But there's a lot of people still going out to the beach and doing a lot out here, whether it's L.A. or Orange County. So there's a lot of people disobeying the orders for sure out here. <laughs> do you uh, can you go to the beach? Is that is that available to you? Um, it is, uh, if, if I wanted, uh, I'm, I'm high risk cause I have type two diabetes. So I'm being very safe, oh. uh, by not going out, but, uh, but I guess you can, if you want, you just got to maintain social distancing guidelines, things like that. If you go out and you can't so. bring any beach type stuff with you, no, uh, chairs, umbrellas, nothing, nothing to help make your uh, stay any enjoy any more enjoyable. <laughs> I'm sure you can. You just got to stay six feet apart. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's awesome! I uh, I'm just going over your uh, your 
site here, you've got quite a list of, uh, you're a busy guy. How are you handling uh, the pandemic not being able to uh, uh, get out and get after it? Now, let me let me give the listeners a little bit of an update here on just exactly what you've been up to. You've got uh, acting, you've got comedy, are you doing a little DJing? And, mm-hmm. oh, I, I got I to gotta drop a little drum roll in right here. Ghost hunting. Is yep. that, is that a serious, uh, I should say, uh, how much of your time are you putting into ghost hunting? Is that a major part of your, uh, your, your deal? Uh, it definitely is a major part of my life. And it's kind of funny that even all my talents and that, uh, on the side, it kind of comes into play a lot. Um, I've done a lot of entertainment related stuff with the paranormal too, whether it's being on TV shows or consulting for TV shows. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a major part. I actually have my PhD in parapsychology. I've lectured at Chapman University oh. for five or six years on the paranormal. So, legit. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, it's All legit. Right. All right, man. I was I was so excited for this interview because I uh, the other thing that uh, that I, I I love was the Ford versus Ferrari movie. You were in the Ford versus Ferrari movie. That's correct. Yeah, I was one of the main uh, Ferrari guys for that movie. Oh, that's so cool. What? Uh, well, let's let's start at the beginning. Where where did all this start? What 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 part of the world are you from? Uh, I was born in Long Beach, California. So I'm a California native, born and raised. Ah. Uh, yeah. Um, just at a very young age, I just gravitated towards entertainment. Whether it was comedy was really big in my life. Uh, my parents would let me stay up and listen. I like watched Johnny Carson and Saturday Night Live, and I watched a lot of those comedians and really enjoyed them and kind of learned, I think I learned a lot of humor from watching that stuff growing up. Um, and I also loved music a lot. I used to imitate Michael Jackson and know all his dance moves when I was a kid. And I just loved a lot of music that my family listened to growing up. And it just, it, I don't know, it really spoke to me and I was really drawn to it. I think that's where my interest started because my family said, besides the Michael Jackson stuff that I would imitate almost everything I saw, you know, where there's, and I'm, I'm, kind of give my age away a little bit with like the, the Marx brothers and Groucho Marx, but you know, also like, you know, Dana Carvey, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, a lot of these comedians, you know, I imitated them and I learned impressions and did all that stuff as well. So that's kind of where I think my interest and my passion started was just watching and being a fan and imitating it, emulating it when I could. And then, uh, in junior high, I, uh, had a counselor suggest that I join choir. So I do something more extracurricular. I was kind of very shy and, and introverted and timid when I was younger, cause I kind of got picked on and bullied. Um, so that kind of made me an introvert, but whenever I was on a stage performing, it was a much different experience for me. I just felt comfortable. I felt at home, felt kind of alive on a stage and that's where my passion kind of started. So I started with choir and I was able to be an introvert cause I was surrounded by other people. So I could kind of disguise myself in, in the group. Um, but eventually, you know, I joined drama because I was into comedy and acting and uh, started performing and doing solo songs, too. And then, you know, acting and all that. So that's really? yeah, and it just became my passion and, and something I wanted to do, even though I hated it when I was younger and I didn't like a lot of attention. Um, I just enjoy the art form so much of all the things I do that it, it became my life's passion. How do you handle it now? I mean, does it bother you? I mean, I, I'm looking on your uh, your website and you're you know, huge, huge crowd out there. Um, and and (laughs) that's an odd place for an introvert, but does the, uh, overwhelming, uh, you know, fans and all the cheering and that just kind of, you just muscle through it. I mean, I've got, I've got some, uh, anxiety and some stage fright kind of a stuff that I deal with, but, uh, I don't, this is a big stage, but you could just get out there and get after it. Huh? 
Yeah, like I said, it's it's a much different feeling. It's strange and it's hard to describe how it works. But when I'm on a stage or performing or whatever, I just feel comfortable and at home. Like I, I don't know how I block it out, but to me, it's not really an issue to have a crowd or anything. And I'm not really, I don't really have anxiety or I'm not too worried about crowds or anything. I think I just don't like a ton of attention. Like I, I get a little uncomfortable after I step off the stage. And I, if there's a line of people who want to talk to me after either a, a hip hop show or a comedy show, um, it's not hard for me, but it's, it, it's a little weird to be surrounded by people and they're like, Oh, you were so good. or You were so funny or whatever it is. And that's the point where it becomes a little overwhelming for me, but on a stage, when I step on there, it's like I'm at home and I'm comfortable. And I've been told that by people who watched me perform club owners, whoever, they're just like, man, you just have such a presence on stage. It's like, you've been there your whole life. You just look very at home and comfortable. And I definitely feel that personally as well. So did you go on, you went to, did you go to college? Uh, yeah, I did. did I you, did actually. Did you go for, uh, arts and entertainment or what? Uh, I did. I, I had two majors. I studied radio, TV, and film. So I got my hand in at the radio station. That's where a lot of the DJ stuff comes from. Uh, working at my college radio station. I took stand a stand-up comedy class. I actually chose my college, my community college here in Norwalk, California, specifically because they were the only college that offered a stand-up comedy class. And my entire life, I wanted to do stand-up comedy. And I was like, that's the college for me. I want to take that class. I want to do stand-up comedy. I had no idea uh, that was an option. Yeah, I, I didn't either until, you know, I, I wanted to pursue that stuff. And I found it. And I was like, this is my college right here. <laughs> At did, least for you, uh, did you go to, did, when, was there any... Uh... Any other famous people in your class? I mean, they weren't at the time, but uh, since then, did you uh, keep I in contact with any of those aspiring comedians? Uh, not necessarily with uh, any of those aspiring comedians. Uh, we were definitely in touch for a while, but we all kind of took our own paths. And I'm always switching gears, so to speak, because, you know, you've seen all the things I do that sometimes I switch focus. You know, I still do everything, but sometimes music takes uh more of my energy and time. So I'll focus more on that or acting takes over a little bit and I don't do as much of the other things. So it just depends what, what kind of takes my focus at the time. But I definitely am in touch with some of the guys we, I started out with, um, you know, and they're still doing comedy and their thing, but I'm, I'm a pretty independent person. I do a lot of different things. So I think it's hard for me to stay focused and stay in touch with one group of people. Although I am good at getting in touch with, you know, the people that get, get in touch with me. Uh, but there's definitely a few people I know that have gotten pretty big, uh, off of, uh, it's actually more of the people I worked with in like radio and TV stuff that have uh, been pretty successful. Um, one of my good friends in, in college at Cerritos where I took the stand-up comedy and radio classes. Um, he very early on got a job at power 106 in LA, a very, you know, famous hip hop station out here. And, uh, yeah, he, now he has his own media company and he does a lot of stuff and he did stuff on MTV as a host. Uh, so yeah, he, he, he blew up pretty big. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He, he blew up pretty quick and pretty fast. And, um, oh, you know, definitely cool. there's a few people that I know that have kind of taken their careers pretty far. You know, it's interesting. Cause I, uh, I follow comedians. That's kind of my, my, uh, my hobby is uh, pretty, pretty into the comedian world. And, uh, I find that a lot of the ones that I meet or that I've spoken to, are introverted people to where when they're on stage, they're nothing can stop them. They're on top of the world, but you get them, you get them outside when they're, uh, you know, having to interact, like you're saying in a meet and greet or whatever. And they're just, 
don't know what to say, you know, real, real, like to themselves. You know, the one that stands out the most to me is, um, do you know who Frank Caliendo is? Yes, I do. Uh, I went to see Frank Caliendo and he just killed just a great show. And then, uh, we got out like first and he happened to be out there. This was way back before he became where he is now. Um, yeah. and he was like peddling his CDs and shit to like, you know, here, here you want to buy it. So we went over and just started rapping with him. Not like super fans, but just people talking to a dude who just got off stage and boy, yeah. I, he wanted to run and crawl in a hole. He was not having it. It was so <laughs> weird to see, but, but now that I, you know, I, I, I follow a lot of these, uh, national acts and it's like, I, I think it, I think it's a thing. They're just, you know, with the rare exception, but, um, I think that's part of the comedic thing is that that's the, how to, how to express yourself, you know, where just everyday interaction isn't your sweet spot, which is true. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think the, the, one of the things that I discuss a lot with people is I think people don't realize that comedy really does come from tragedy. And I know some of my best material as a stand-up comedian comes from some of the worst times I've had in my life. And I mean, not to get too deep, but I was pretty severely abused growing up by my family. And it's only been recently that I really, really broke out of my shell, broke out a lot of the fears that were created by the abuse and like really went after my career. And Ford versus Ferrari kind of started me on that path where I just, I said, F it, quit my day job and just really started pursuing entertainment only. And I'm not, and I just refuse to work a regular job ever again because it's not what I want. It doesn't feed my soul and the person that I am. And uh, funny enough, um, we were talking about that, you know, saying Frank Caliendo and other people yeah. uh, can be a little more introverted. Yeah, I think it's true. I think we find a way to express ourselves with humor. It's really a coping mechanism. I know it is for me. I know that's, I think that's how I survived a lot of the abuses. I had uh, my humor as a coping mechanism. I had my music as a coping mechanism. And I had all these things that, you know, I could escape and express myself because I wasn't allowed to express myself in my home. And that I think really was detrimental to me expressing myself is I just wasn't allowed to. And I didn't, I didn't know how with other people because I was already shut down in my own home. So when you're made to believe that family is the most important thing, but even they shut you down, you start to believe the rest of the world is like that. Because if your own family treats you that way, then what's the rest of the world going to treat you That's like? Horrible. What did you did some? You know, did something happen? I imagine you've been on the horn with a counselor for for a while to uh, try and straighten all that out. But uh, by getting by getting to the point where you're confident in your ability with Ford versus Ferrari or Ferrari or, or some other thing is that is that really just kind of such a polar opposite to such negativity that maybe that helps you snap out of it you know not that it's ever going to be gone but but yeah it, it gets you to the point where like hey you know what i i i am good at this i do know what i'm doing and and i do have some value here i got to think that that's got to springboard you quite uh quite a bit into uh, not forgetting but def- definitely not being hindered by such an ugly uh, situation yeah, no, you said it perfectly, actually. That's exactly what it is. Um, you know, my abuser really, not directly, but indirectly made me feel worthless, put me down a lot, made, dis, dis, discouraged me of all my dreams and ambitions and everything, thinking it's a waste of time and even downplaying some great accomplishments in my life. I can never admit that I accomplished so much. Even my wife would always be like, like, look, you're only like 30 and you've accomplished all this in your life. Nobody's accomplished this much. You yeah. shouldn't sad or depressed about life. And I'm like, I couldn't help it. You know, you're stuck with that, whatever was there. But yeah, um, I was working a job that I hated for 10 years. I uh, got a random call that two days after I decided to quit my job, I got a random call from a casting director that saw me on LA casting and said, Hey, you look real Italian. 
uh, we have this period piece we want you to be a part of. And, uh, you know, I, I never looked back after that. But yeah, the confidence of being directed by James Mangold, having the assistant directors and the crew and, you know, doing scenes with John Bernthal and Matt Damon and Christian Bale um, definitely just boosted my confidence oh, at a yeah. level. That's I'm a deep end of the pool. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm capable of this. I'm good at it. I'm being complimented at what I'm doing. Yeah, there's no doubt this is what I want to do with my life. Like, there's no question. And there never has been a question. I think there was just a little lack of confidence in some areas because of what I went through. And that is slowly, you know, dissipating and going away, thankfully. And and I'm just, you know, living my best life that I can right now. That's awesome. Well, and I know, I know from experience, I do, uh, I'm a, I'm a, well, I guess you'd say starving, but if you looked at me, you wouldn't think I was starving, uh, voiceover actor that, uh, you know, I've been in it for like two years and, and, you know, auditioning like crazy. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I've talked to a lot, a lot of the people that I deal with are, are huge players in the industry and, and their biggest thing is, is that once it happens, it happens. It's like, once you get enough confidence in yourself to know what you're good at and what you're working on, you know, and not wasting your time with stuff that's never going to pan out. And, mm -hmm. and, and you have that confidence in yourself, then the doors just keep opening, you know, and, and that's, and that's what you're talking about here with, you know, the major, major motion picture, uh, all of a sudden, you know, being a part of that, it's like, Whoa. And that's, and that's not, you know, that's not the small stuff that you went, you went big right out of the gate, which is cool. So, yeah, so, definitely. so, so then do you, um, do you then, uh, uh, still have relationships with those guys like, uh, like Matt Damon or, or any guys from the film that, you know, kind of, I mean, they gotta be giving you pointers and whatever, or do they just keep to themselves and blah, 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 blah. Um, no, I, I wouldn't say that, but because you're in a working environment and me getting the big opportunities I did, I just maintained such a level of professionalism that like you could tell they respected me because I was professional, but mm -hmm. there wasn't like a huge amount of interaction necessarily. I, I did my biggest scene with John Bernthal and he was just a very nice guy, very talkative. We talked about our scene, what we were going to do. Uh, Matt Damon is also very lively and funny on set. You know, he makes everything really, um, you know, just fun. And then Christian Bale is a much, much more serious actor. Uh, not, they don't, I guess they don't call him like, uh, you know, uh, one of those method actors necessarily, sure. but he, very serious when he's on set and there's nothing wrong with that because he is a great actor but he's a lot more serious you don't get a lot of character out of him as i think his like normal personality really doesn't come out when he's in character oh. he's that character so i just saw like a very serious side to christian bale but yeah john bernthal was very friendly he talked to everybody even the extras um if he was around and just friendly and matt damon was very jokey and friendly with everybody too um cool. yeah i didn't necessarily maintain any relationships with them uh, just because again, I was an professional set there to do my thing. And, um, I always like to treat any celebrities I've encountered because the job I worked was customer service uh, before that. And I encountered a lot of celebrities. I can treat them like regular people. So I, I rarely have any issues with celebrities. Sometimes they'll actually give me their contact info because I'm just so, you know, a normal person. And yeah, I treat them not, like a normal you're not person. Googling over them. I imagine that's gotta be a big thing. Cause the, one of the most annoying parts of, of what they're going through is when people are just so awestruck where they just want to be normal. I just want to deal with normal people, which, you know, obviously if you're coming off that way, that's, that's, uh, making a good impression. That's cool. That's really yeah, cool. No, definitely. It was a great, great feeling to have that experience. So yeah, I didn't keep in touch with necessarily any of them, but I, I had great interactions with them while I was on set. Uh, they were really nice people, really professional as well. 
Um, again, it was just nice that I was on set for two months on that movie and everybody knew my name, knew who I was. They would call me all the time. And it was a huge confidence booster because I hadn't, I, I started doing acting when I was pretty young, especially right when I went to college, I did a commercial early on, um, a lot of theater stuff, voiceover stuff as well. Um, so yeah, I've done, I've done quite a bit in that area, but, um, I was kind of focusing on music and stand-up comedy a little more at the time that I had, uh, before Ford versus Ferrari. And then that just, it started a like snowball effect where I did Ford versus Ferrari. I got a couple commercials in, uh, got some TV show credits and just like, it was like a bunch of stuff started just, you know, piling up after that. There you and, go. Once it goes, it goes, man. That's awesome. What are you, what are you working on now from a, a film perspective or TV perspective? Anything, uh, anything big going? Um, there's a lot of projects that I've been approached for during the quarantine. Obviously, a lot of things are, are being held back right now. There's a, an indie film I was I was a part of uh, that is going to receive a digital release pretty soon on Amazon. We're waiting on that. So I don't have all the details. It's it's a satire comedy movie. The script was amazing. And I was so glad I got to be a part of it. Um, and not only that, as a musical artist, uh, the director was looking for songs for the soundtrack. So I got an original song on this movie soundtrack oh, as well, which was exciting. Dipping. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was really cool. Uh, it's called no offense. Uh, and it's about the current world and administration and everything that's going on right now. And it's very blunt and direct and a great satire of, of how things are. And I was so glad to be a part of it. Like there's certain films that or projects you work on that you feel like you just feel like there's something special. When we were on the set for Ford versus Ferrari, everyone felt that we were like, this is going to be something special. It just feels different. The energy is different. Yeah. And we were, we all thought we were right. When we saw the movie, we thought this thing was great. Um, of course, I wish I had more of uh, my Ferrari stuff in there. Cause I shot for two months, but it was definitely a Ford movie, not a Ferrari movie, but <laughs> well, maybe, there's a, maybe there's a, uh, a spinoff. Give us the, give right. us the Ferrari side. Right, exactly. Or you know, I was wondering if the European cut was maybe a little different. <laughs> maybe they go. left a little more stuff in there. How'd you get to um, drive any of those cars? And like, I mean, you're not only around fun people and in, in a great place, but you got great vehicles around you too. Yeah, definitely. Now the closest we did. So I played uh, kind of two different parts during during the run of the film. One part was I played um, a factory worker for Ferrari, like building the engines, mm -hmm. and that was my big scene with John Bernthal that we did. It was supposed to take place in Italy in the 1960s. And then they called me back to do another month and a half of shooting as the pit crew for Ferrari. So we had to like gas up the vehicles when they came in for pit stops. And like, you know, we did lots of stuff <laughs> in regards to Matt Damon and Christian Bale. So like we did a lot of pit crew type stuff. So we were around the cars a lot, which was really cool because they built all these replicas for the movie. And a few times they had some people who had collections of old Ferrari cars on set, obviously. So yeah, we got to be around a lot of cool you know, props and vehicles and all that. So it was, it was a very cool experience to be a part of for sure. For sure. Are you, are you still uh, recording and, and doing, I mean, obviously not right now during the quarantine, but uh, say the quarantine ends tomorrow. Are you, uh, are you, uh, you know, touring uh, stand up? Or are you touring uh, with music or what, what, uh, what, what level are you at with that stuff? Yeah. So obviously the quarantine has put a lot on hold. I have a few movie projects I'm supposed to film and dates have been pushed back. So we're kind of just waiting to find out what's going to happen. It's kind of the same with comedy and music. So music, I released only a free album so far just to kind of, you know, kind of get my feet wet, put it out there. So that way there's some content uh, yeah. that people can check out on my website. How's the response and, been? Uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so how's the, how's the response been for the album? 
Uh, it's been good. Uh, I actually like did a, a limited release. It's about the place I worked and I, I sold it just to my fellow employees and everybody loved it and they didn't snitch on me and get me fired. So obviously it must've <laughs> been good enough to not get me in trouble. That's a good uh, sign. And I made a couple music videos. I got some pretty good views on it uh, for the album. And yeah, the, the response has been good. Uh, it's, um, my music as a rap artist can be very socially conscious and political in a lot of ways. Okay. And it, so that's really a lot of where my music comes from. Um, and this album is about a corporate company, but it's very much on a political level of how they treat their employees and the mentality and the psychology of how they work. So a lot of people actually really enjoyed how I broke down the company in more of a political way of how they operate. And like, they really related to it. Like, even if they didn't work for this particular company, everybody's had a job that they worked for that they felt that way about. So I feel like the response is, wow, like I really understand this. Like you're really speaking about something we can relate to. So it seems like on, on in multiple levels, people relate to the content I put out on that album. Plus it's about a very big company and I've, I sampled music. Uh, that's also another reason I put it out for free because I didn't want to deal with any copyright uh, infringement issues. Yeah some of the very popular music from this company to make some of the 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 music and uh, so what, yeah so that, what you're really like, saying is that you you got fired and you that's why you're going all in you <laughs> they oh, heard no, your no, album I, and, and you, I, I quit and then i released the album <laughs> okay okay <laughs> I, I wish i would have got fired it would have been uh, better unemployment if i got fired <laughs> yeah there you go there you go i uh i thought maybe those two were correlated uh in the opposite but if you uh if you released it afterwards hey man that's great that, uh, and then it sounds like you're getting some good traction on it. And then is there yeah. any comedy stuff out there? Do you have any, uh, uh comedy albums or anything? Uh, no, but funny enough, uh, I kind of mentioned it earlier a little bit and touched on the subject. Uh, my, my talents intertwine. So on that album, actually, I, I do a lot of impressions and voices. I do a rap as Mickey Mouse over a Dr. Dre beat. And that actually, that that came out on the album itself, but it was so impactful that it ended up being uh, part of my stand up comedy too. So that's would usually be my closer at the end of my set. And I would just shut the clubs down because nobody expected it, you know, to like turn Mickey Mouse into this vulgar kind of, kind of joking uh, thing uh, worked really well, actually. And like I said, I would just shut the clubs down uh, after performing that song, rapping like Mickey Mouse. So <laughs> that's on, that's on your website, isn't it? It is. Yeah. That's uh, www.mcpierre.com. That's the letter M, the letter C, P I E double R E. And there's a link that goes straight where you can download the tracks. It's almost uh, it's almost a wrap for you to uh, to do your uh, your your web address. N C W P R E. Oh, here it is. Here with the I'm gonna have to play that for the uh, on the show if that's all right with you. Is it fine? Oh yeah. Is it is, is it absolutely uh, uh, not? Uh, I guess it doesn't matter. We're not, uh, we're not going to radio here, so we can play whatever we want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as long as YouTube doesn't slap me in the face, I'm, uh, I'm all good with it. Hey, um, yeah. now we need to get to the, uh, the other portion of your world, which, uh, I have a button in here just for you. Boo. Uh, the, uh, ah. the, uh, the ghost hunting, I, <laughs> that button is too much. Um, the ghost hunting, the paranormal, man, what, how does this happen now? You're, you're rapping, comedy, acting, and now we're hunting ghosts? Come on, <laughs> yeah. what's the story? Uh, the story is a, is a long story, I guess, but I'll try to try to make it as quick as possible to kind of give an overview of where it's it right. started. We got all day. 
<laughs> so um, when I was two years old, I stayed at my grandmother's house, which just wasn't an uncommon occurrence. Every so often I would stay there. But I'd always stay in my uh, f- former grandfather's room where he had a stroke and passed away. Um, this particular time I stayed there in the wee early morning hours, which I don't really remember exactly. I was really young, but my grandfather passed away when I was three months old. So I was about two years old and he appeared in front of my bed trying to talk to me in that room. And as a, a two year old, I freaked out, you know, I started crying. I wondering what was going on. And I recognized him from pictures because I never actually rem- like, you know, really remembered him. I only saw pictures of him. Um, it sounded like he was trying to talk to me. And when I freaked out, he realized I freaked out and took off into, and he was like transparent and glowing, kind of like I couldn't, you know, obviously physically not really there, but I could see him. <laughs> and he took off into the dining room from the room and I ran out and followed him and watched him disappear through the dining room wall. So I ran to my grandmother's room, crying, screaming, saying, I saw grandpa, like blah, 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 whatever, you know. You? Two years old. Holy smokes. I thought I was five, but my grandmother corrected me that I have really vivid memories from when I was like two years old. She's like, no, you were like two. I don't know how you remember the details of this because you were like two years old. I'm like, no, that's kind of weird that I remember things from that young. I always said I was five, but apparently uh, I was like two. (laughs) Wow. That's when it started. So you saw him run through the wall and then what? You crapped your diaper or what? Uh, no, I mean, I was, I was crying and, and freaking out because I didn't know what was going on, but I ran in my grandmother's room, which wasn't, you know, far, I was just across the dining room there. And I told her what happened. She said, Oh, it's just a bad dream. You can stay with me. Don't worry about it. And uh, I kind of calmed down a little bit cause you know, it was gone, but it still freaked me out. Um, but my mom, you know, pushed that narrative too. that my grandma did. Oh, it was just a bad dream. You were imagining it. And it bothered me a lot because I know what I saw. Like, I know it wasn't a bad dream. I was wide awake. At two. You were two. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, after that, I actually started seeing spirits, like, almost everywhere I went. And we'd be in places, and I'd see, like, somebody, but I'd look, and nobody else would notice, like, that person standing there or that figure standing there or whatever I would see. And I stayed really quiet because I was like, if my family doesn't believe me, who else is going to believe me? Finally, about eight years later, my family sat me down and they said, look, like we didn't want to scare you because you're really young, but we've all experienced this. We think our family like has some abilities and we're like sensitive. So, you know, like grandmother came from Italy and she saw a bunch of stuff when she was out there growing up before she came out here. Uh, My mom grew up seeing a bunch of weird stuff. Uh, So it's like, it's weird that my family has all these kind of experiences together so that finally opened me up and I was like well I've been seeing stuff and and it got me really interested it really sparked my interest I was like okay and I have I started having them buy me books on ghosts and the paranormal and you know Bigfoot UFOs anything strange you know I'm not just a ghost hunter I'm a paranormal investigator so I've investigated everything not just ghosts (laughs) so you have all that fancy equipment then yeah. Yeah. We have, I run an actual 501c3 nonprofit. Um, we have like thousands of dollars worth of equipment. That's EMF meters, audio recorders, you know, night vision, infrared cameras, thermal imagers. Oh, uh, that is yeah. so crazy. Yeah. All that stuff. So yeah, we've accumulated it over the years that we've been doing this. Wow. So, so now you're, you're, you know, very young, obviously. And as you're getting older and you know that your whole family's in on this thing i don't even know what you want to call it this ability and and so wow where do where do you start like pursuing it into into something like you know because you always see this stuff on discovery channel or or whatever but how how does it become 
something. I mean, I, I, I had someone on the other day, I had a psychic on the other day and, oh. uh, and I was just blown away by the whole process. But until you actually, actually talk to somebody who's in the know and, and deals with this, it, it, you know, it seems a little bit far-fetched to the average person. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I always tell people the paranormal in general is an experiential thing. So unless you've experienced it, I totally understand people who don't believe. And I consider myself a skeptical believer because I approach it using the scientific method. We test it out. We try and capture evidence of it. Otherwise, we're not going to say, oh, that's a ghost for sure. Or that's a UFO for sure. Whatever it is. You know what I mean? Right. We go in and really analyze things. We look for natural causes before we determine what it is. And again, it's it's an experiential thing. So when you experience it, you find that most people start to believe after they have some sort of experience. Um, And then you find that the people that don't haven't had at least maybe a intense experience or one that that threw them off a little bit. So, Oh man, this brings up so many questions. So I'm, I'm in high school and in college and I'm partying like a rock star and you're partying like a rock star in college, but you're seeing ghosts like are, yeah. are, are other people. Are, do you know at, at that level, had you had met anybody outside of your family who had this? Um, not necessarily until I got older. When I got to college, I started meeting people in college that became part of my team. And we met some mentors, some people in the field who were really well known, uh, whether they were clairvoyants or paranormal investigators, and they mentored us. But um, outside of that, I met my best friend in high school and he loved the paranormal, even though he never experienced it, he loved it. So we, we started forming our organization uh, in high school, actually, and oh. just kind of researching and going out to places and all that, and just kept building over the years and finding mentors. So, so, what uh, but, yeah. so is he still part of your team now? He is. He's in the Air Force in Oklahoma, unfortunately. So he's not as close as we used to be, obviously, when he was in California. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's my co-founder. He co-founded the group with me. Uh, so he's he's always been a part of it. Um, you know, he usually maintains the website and even though he's at a distance, tries to update stuff for us on that end. What's the website uh, for that one? That's uh, paranormaldetectives.org. So our organization is called the Southern California Paranormal Detectives. And uh, it's, yeah, www.paranormaldetectives.org. We have our information, our bios, uh, videos, all kinds of stuff on the website uh, to find out about, about that. So give me the process then. People, somebody, somebody contacts you because they think something's haunted or, or, or how, does it, how does it work? Is it, is it well, who's, your, who's your main client? I mean, who are you, who's, give, who's calling you <laughs> for this? Oh. Mostly it's average everyday people who just have something going on in their home. So, you know, uh, we definitely have a process uh, with it. So uh, we get the initial contact. It can be by phone. It could be by email. It all depends, whatever people are comfortable with. And they might tell us a little bit about what's going on. Usually not the full details until we contact them back or if we do respond right away. Um, And we have a a list of questions we ask. We want to determine if these people are, you know, mentally stable and sound, because you do have people that exaggerate things that kind of imagine things and, you know, just excitable, I guess you could say. Um, So we want to determine that they're legitimate and they have legitimate reasons for what's going, you know, what they're telling us and what's going on. Uh, Once we've determined that they seem sound of mind and, you know, they're serious, then uh, we'll possibly will set up an investigation for their property, home, business, whatever it is. Um, and you know, we'll go from there. So we usually set up an evening 
We'll go there. We'll talk with the client. We'll walk the property of the house, find out information where it is. My brother's actually a medium. He communicates with the other side. So to test that scientifically, we keep him away from all the information. He doesn't talk to the client. He doesn't go to the property until we allow him to. So we get all the information. And then to test his ability, we bring him in blank without any information and we see if we can pick up what the client told us or the areas of activity. And a lot of the time he'll hit those spots. He'll walk to a spot. The client says everything happens. Be like, I feel a lot right here. And there's like a man and he's, he's like this and he's tall. He has a hat, you know, and then we'll be like, okay, cool. You know, like he, he hit that on the head and you know, he had no information. I, uh, I keep picturing your family to be like the Adams family or something like they, like they, <laughs> all have these special uh, things that they do uh so so is he generally on with his with his predictions or his medium uh yeah basically uh they're not necessarily predictions what it is is he's actually directly communicating uh with the other side or it's communicating with him either through voices he hears through images in his mind and uh yeah generally he hits it on the head i remember one of the first times we tested it with a large group uh we were investigating this theater in california um my like brother, Habra, yeah, La Habra Depot Theater. That's correct. Mm-hmm. I'm on your website, man. I, I, I you yeah. gotta tell me stories <laughs> on these things. Knott's Berry Farm, come on. Yeah, I, I used to work there, so uh, wow. so we checked it out. Uh, on my what was it, after I turned in my two week notice and I was leaving the job, uh, security was pretty lax there, so we just went in after hours and uh, bought some of our gear and walked around and checked things out. <laughs> why, why, and and I'm, uh, you know, this is lame. I'm asking for the the layman out there that don't know. I mean, I'm very well versed in this, but most people probably aren't. No, I no, I have no idea. Uh, but why do you always search for these things at night? Like they're not around during the day. Uh, they are, and they can be active at any time. Uh, the thing with night, at least over the years of research that I've done, at night things are calmer people are calmer. There's less activity. And it's almost like if they're shy, they'll be less shy if there's less commotion and activity going on around them. So there just tends to be more activity in the evening than there is during the day. Also, as human beings, while we're sleeping, we expel a lot of energy from the day. So one of my theories after studying this for so long is I think that they're feeding off of our energy that we're releasing from our busy day and they're able to manifest better you know, uh, with that energy that's going on. Oh, now you're making sense. All right. So you're at the La, La Habra, uh, Depot theater and, and, and what, what's going on there? So there's a uh, two big stories. Sorry. I closed my door. The, the guys were working outside on the lawn. I didn't want it to be too loud. <laughs> oh, no, that's much better way to go. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, the Harvard Depot Theater, uh, we had researched it and uh, we contacted them and asked if we could investigate. And they said, yeah, we're really interested in having somebody come in and check it out. Uh, there's a what, little what girl. Drew, what drew you to them? Was there like, what, why did you pick that? Uh, we, we were doing research locally um, in like the Orange County, L.A. County areas. That's okay. more Orange County. And uh, we happened to find that place and it had so many stories. There were stories online from employees and cast members and all that. And we just were like, yo, this isn't too far. And this seems really cool. I'd love to check it out and see if we could, you know, catch some evidence or see if this place is really haunted. Okay. So we ended up contacting one of the head people uh, and they said, oh yeah, yeah, that's great. We can have you come in. And it ended up being a big thing. The OC register, the local newspaper came out to do a story on us while we were doing that. <laughs> 
Um, so we got some publicity from that. And we weren't necessarily trying to. It just the theater was happy to get the publicity, too. So they were like, yeah, do you mind if we, you know, call the local news stations and newspapers and see if they'll come out? And we're like, sure, if you want to. Like, we don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> it worked cool. out. Um, so, yeah. So uh, we went in there. We heard some of the stories. One of the main claims is that there's a little girl uh, spirit of a little girl. Now, now the theater itself used to be an actual train depot that was across the street where the train tracks are. Okay. Moved it and turned it to a theater across the street there. Um, now, when the, the when the theater was a train depot across the street, a little girl was um, hit and killed. Uh, and we don't know for sure if it was by it because it was so long ago. We don't know if it was by a train or by a vehicle. We're not sure yet uh, on that point. But a little girl was definitely killed, and her spirit hangs around in the theaters uh, and the train car. Um, she's mostly seen in the train car. Uh, we actually caught a really cool photo that we couldn't replicate. And it looks like a little girl um, standing that, in front of the, the, that the lines are drawn on. Oh no, I see it there. It's like, she's floating above you on the stage. Right. There's a, no, I'm not sure if that's the, the correct one that that's, that's some evidence we caught as well. I think that you're looking at right now, the one that I'm talking about is a, the, the back of the train car. There's like a set of stairs okay. and railing. And between the railing, you, it looks like a little girl standing there and she's like orangey, kind of had an orange glow to her. And you, you can't see her like fully, but you can make out enough definition that to us, it looked like a little girl. Yes. In the picture. Huh. All right. Oh, one of the train cars. So I know we have that. It's kind of in the back window of the train. Uh, almost. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's on the, it's a door actually. Uh, that's right there. Yeah. You can see like. And it's behind the, uh, the the bars of the railing too. That's so we found freak that. the shit out of you. <laughs> I mean, really. So, it's, number one, it's night. You're at a strange place, and then you start seeing stuff like that. Yeah, we didn't see it though. We caught it on camera. Nobody saw it. We saw it after we, um, you know, took our our pictures off the camera, and we were like, "Wait, what's this? Did you see that when we were there? No." And then we we tried to replicate it. We went back for like two or three years in a row to do more investigating. And we never were able to replicate that photo. We use the same camera, same angle, same time of night, and we couldn't replicate it. So we think it's, it's a, a legitimate piece of evidence. Interesting. <laughs> but that place was cool. And it really tested my brother as a medium. So we were in the theater and my brother went on the stage. He stood in, in this particular spot and he, he said that like his chest started to hurt. And literally the entire staff of the theater ran out of the theater because a man had a stroke and died in the exact spot my brother stood on. Oh. And the staff freaked out. They ran out of the theater because they're like, there's no way he can know that. They never told us that information. And they, you know, they didn't want that kind of publicity. So it's not like it was a public record. Wow. That, that um, so my brother stood on the exact spot and said, like, yeah, my chest is bothering me right here. And it's like got really tight and it bothers me. And yeah, the staff of the theater ran out like, like full on sprint ran out of the theater. And then we like, oh, what's wrong? And like your brother stood in the exact spot where someone very close to us had a stroke and died on that stage. And there's no way he could have known that. And how could he stand on the exact spot that it happened? Like That's that was really a great test for my brother's abilities. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, so that was a very cool experience to to be a part of. Well, you've got um, you've got some other ones here, uh, Castle Park and Rancho Capistrano. So are you Absolutely. are you uh, so are people are calling you in and you come and check these things out? What which uh, which one was like 
the most like aha moment where it's, whoa, this is real. Um, and it may not even be something on your website here, but have you been to a place where, where other people have been able to notice this and, and take in that there is something going on? Oh yeah. I mean, if you were to watch the videos, La Habra Depot theater, mm-hmm. that's where we, we have every time we've gone there and the, I think it was three or four years that we went back every year. Um, we had groups of people with us all the time. Uh, sometimes it was publishers who were writing books and did, did a story on us. Other times it was in newspapers, whatever. Um, the train car was full of activity. Um, and one particular night we had asked it to do something, make a sound, give us some sort of sign. And we had the staff with us. We had uh, a couple that was writing a book on haunted Orange County and they were there with us. My team was there. We had cameras rolling, audio rolling and something with an immense amount of force, like banged the side of the train. It shook the entire train. And this is late at night. Nobody's around. We, we went outside. We looked. We couldn't find any trace or source of anybody that could have caused that. We have video evidence of it. We have at least 12 people who were there to witness it. And that was very intense. And yeah, so that was. Is that on video in your, on your website? Yes, it is. Yeah, there's footage of it. Man, I'm telling you what I'm doing all afternoon. That is so cool. <laughs> That's crazy. So how often are you out on these uh, these uh, investigations? Well, it's been less and less over the years. I want to say the last time we were very active was probably 2018. Uh, 2000, at the end of 2018 is when I quit my job and I really started pursuing my career. So, um, you know, we, we pretty much run it out of our own pockets and donations. So, uh, so, you know, we, we do it to help people. We're not in it for like money or fame or anything. Um, but we, we don't do it. TV show. Yeah, (laughs) not yet, but (laughs) the possibilities there, I've been approached by a, a few shows during this quarantine. So we'll see if one of those comes up, uh, when the quarantine's done, who knows, but, um, but anyway, yeah, uh, we haven't done a little bit. I'd say, yeah, 2018 was probably the last year we really did it. We actually did a web series for two years okay. on YouTube. And uh, it's because we were so tired of Hollywood. You know, we were approached by five, at least five major companies to do TV shows. But a little disappointing fact for people who don't know, reality TV is not reality. <laughs> they stuff, they fake stuff. Oh, and wait a minute. What you're telling us is it's not real. And I suppose next, next you're going to tell us that wrestling's not real too. Oh yeah, of course. That's the next, <laughs> but yeah, so that was a big disappointment for me only because I'm very passionate about this. It's, it's a big part of my life, as you can tell. Um, and I didn't want to sell it down the river just for like 15 minutes of fame. Right. So we've turned down a few deals. We've had companies turn us down because we didn't want to turn into characters for them. Um, and just cause a bunch of drama for no reason. Like, nah, I think you can show it professionally, scientifically, and also entertaining without having to fake and drudge up all this, you know, I guess drama or or whatever you want to do with it. So, wow, that is crazy cool. Yeah. So we started doing our own web series and we wanted to make it authentic. So what we did was we invited the public to go with us. So we said, if you want to be a witness to this, let us know and we'll bring you on an episode. So we interview our witnesses. We talk to them. We ask them what they know about the paranormal, why they're interested. And then they come along and we show them how we investigate. And uh, everybody that we brought on was very excited and interested. And and it really like brought longevity to it. We did it for a couple of years. We have lots of content on YouTube. We're still getting subscribers, even though I haven't 
you know, we haven't done it in a long time. So it's a pretty good feeling that we created that much content and we're still getting subscribers on YouTube. Is there, is, and, there, is there like a, like a Comic-Con for your people? Like, uh, like we're all the ghost hunters and, and mediums and, and that meet like, uh, well, you know, yeah. you know, like a, like a convergence for a, a big festival or something where you can all get together and compare stories or is that not, you're all no, independent. It, no, it, it does happen. And obviously, uh, again, the quarantine has affected so many things, but yeah, there are a few smaller conventions that are about the paranormal. Um, I'm trying to remember we did, uh, we went to alien con in Northern California and, uh, it's based on the show ancient aliens. Okay. But a lot of real people in the field were there who were investigators and, you know, the top people who investigate, not just aliens, but Bigfoot and UFOs and, and ghosts and all that. So yeah, they do have conventions and even the normal conventions like Comic-Con and that they have, there are people that have booths that are like paranormal investigators and they're, they're promoting their, you know, documentaries and, and organizations and stuff. So. Wow. That is so cool. I, uh, I could only imagine, I, I, I don't know if I would piss my pants or not. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think I get scared, but when you start getting into like, like, woo ghosts and, you know, I mean, that's, that's next level. You got to be, uh, have a pretty thick skin for that kind of a thing. And then, and then how many, you know, nights afterwards are you like having nightmares about this madness? I, I, it's, it's definitely a different world that, that not, uh, everybody can see or do how, how many people, uh, are able to do this kind of a thing that don't know they can do it. You know what I mean? Uh, like, yeah. Like, is it abundant? Like, like, like if, uh, how do you even say it without all your training, without all your knowledge? I mean, you were two and you saw something weird going on, but are yeah. you, are you, are there people out there who can do this and don't know they can do it? Or is it like, once you know, you know, um, it's, it's a little bit of both, to be honest. Um, uh, again, studying it for so long and actually getting my PhD in it, uh, I come up with a lot of theories on why things happen and why they exist. Um, or, you know, why people do or don't experience it. And uh, my theory is that everybody's capable of this. It just depends on uh, their their train of thought. Um, society has a lot of constrictions on our way of thinking. Religion limits your thinking. Education limits your thinking. Consumerism limits your thinking. There's so many different ways that limit your way of thinking and your perspective and your view of life that some most people brush off paranormal phenomenon when it happens. There are people who witness legitimate paranormal phenomenon, but they cannot comprehend that it exists because they never experienced it. So they'll brush it off. We've dealt with cases where the family's freaking out and one family member will find a way to discredit everything that's happened. So this vase flew across the room and smashed on a wall. There's no way that could have happened. Oh, it was probably the wind. Like somebody said, it was just like, you know, just a coincidence. This happened. It probably was just something, you know, we try to rationalize things we don't understand. So a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. It completely does. And I understand that because I studied a lot of psychology. So I really understand a lot of how the human mind works, especially in regards to thinking and rationalization and, and things we're used to and things we're not used to. So I think most of it is people's narrow vision of the world. Um, America, I think, is the biggest victim of this. Uh, you know, um, you know, we are the greatest country uh, in the world according to ourselves. And like, that's the reality of America uh, because you go to other countries and they don't necessarily think that about us. So having that kind of view and, and ego about oneself can also be you know, boiled down to you as an individual. Like some people have so much ego, they can't believe that there's other people who are capable of doing the things that they do or that other things exist out of what they believe. 
That's why we have so much fighting and arguing. People don't have respect for people's beliefs. Like I'm not religious. I was raised Catholic. I'm a very spiritual man, obviously, by what I deal with. Yeah. But, um, but I don't consider myself religious and I'm not a fan of it, nor do I practice it. But, uh, but there's people who will disrespect me for that, even though I respect people's right to practice and believe in that. Like that's their right to, just right. like it's my not believe in it. Unfortunately, you have so many people that, that have to force others to be- believe or see the, the way that they believe or see. And that creates a lot of the friction and well, problems. That's a major problem right now for everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think that's where the problem lies, you know, and yeah, of course you can do that on a larger scale, just with humanity in general. I'm boiling it down on the spiritual paranormal side of things where, you know, people just can't be open to other possibilities. And I think that's where the limiting factor comes in, where I think everybody's capable of experiencing this type of stuff is just how you view and experience things changes the way you see things. So, so, so if your brother is a medium and you're the ghost guy, What's the rest of the family? Do they have other powers or, or is that because you don't you can't do the medium thing. That's your brother. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I, I'm a weird mix of everything, actually, of all my family's abilities. I'll break down their abilities and tell you kind of what I am. I, I consider myself an empath. And we'll go over that in a second. Um, so my grandmother is a person who can read people so she can like meet a person and tell them about themselves just by looking at them uh, growing up with her was very difficult. Unfortunately, she was my abuser and that's a whole nother story, but I could never lie to her when I was younger because she could read it. Like I could, I'm out, and I'm an actor, so I'm a good liar. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I want to be, but I'm just, I'm stating a fact. Wow. <laughs> um, and I would, if I would try and pass off something or if I didn't tell her something, she literally could look at me. She would tell me it's running across my forehead and tell me what I did or what happened without <laughs> me mentioning it or saying it. So that was difficult to deal with growing up. Um, my mom does like tarot card readings, so she'll she'll do use like regular deck of playing cards and do tarot readings. But she's very political because she can see a lot, and you could tell she holds back from what she sees. So that's kind of her gift and ability. But again, they can also see spirits. They they both have seen spirits and other weird things. Um, my brother's the medium, which that's direct communication with the spiritual side of things, where stuff communicates with him and um, on that level. And then me, I'm kind of a mix of all those abilities because I'm pretty good at, at reading people. Um, I think that helps with stand-up comedy and being a DJ. It means you can read a room and you can, you know, kind of cater your jokes or your music to the feeling and the energy. Yeah, that's major. So that helps. Because <laughs> yeah, I've always sure. told I'm really good at reading a room. Um, I, I never, I kind of do it unconsciously. Like I don't consciously read a room, but I go in and I'm able to just kind of do my thing. So it works out. Uh, but I'm also good at like reading people, you know, like what, um, like if I meet someone, I know right away, like I have, I don't have a good feeling about this person or this person seems nice. I like them. And I'm usually pretty good at gauging that. And then also I can go to a haunted location and be like, this is what I feel. This is what I see. I have had, I have heard things in communication or seen things. Um, obviously we've talked about that. So I kind of have a mix of all my family's abilities. Um, and your dad's got nothing. <laughs> no. Uh, well, okay. So that's a whole nother story. My dad left when I was two. Okay. Uh, funny enough. I just met Maybe him. That was like, him, him running through the wall to get, uh, to get out of there. Huh? Well, probably because my grandmother abused everybody, uh, including him. And that's why he left, which I found out recently because uh-huh. my grandmother created a whole nother story about that. But, um, my dad, no, is very, very spiritual too. On, on a different level though. Like, you know, my, my grandmother, my mom, 
they're very negative in a lot of ways. There's a lot of abuse there, obviously, and there's a lot of negativity. Mm-hmm. On my dad's side, there's actually a lot of positivity. And he believes, he calls it magic and love and, and ener- he calls that energy like magic and love. Like, and you know, he's very spiritual and he's sensitive too. He's talked about things he's experienced. So yeah, I get it. I get it from both sides of my DNA, <laughs> both of my parents for sure. Yeah, my dad is a very spiritual man, not religious as well. We're very much alike. We look alike and we're alike in so many different ways. He's an actor, a musician. Uh, he does so many things as well. Um, so yeah, it comes contact with him now. Yeah. Yeah. We just about, it's been about two years now that we met and uh, yeah, he's, I cut off my abusers. I no longer talk to my grandmother and mom because it was just too toxic and negative in that environment. It was, it was always bringing me down. And my dad on the other side, he's the one thing I needed my entire life. He's supportive and encouraging. Uh, He believes in me. He supports me. And it's just like, yeah, it's great. I've never had the family environment that I have right now. It's so positive that I think it's helping with all my pursuits and my dreams that I'm pursuing and the things that are happening because I'm, I'm being built up instead of broken down like I was before. So, wow. So how does that go then reacquainting yourself with him after so many years? So it was difficult because again, my abuser, my grandmother created a narrative of this man is the devil. She really did. Um, and he did have, from what I understand, some alcohol problems back then, um, and stuff like that, which I wouldn't be surprised if it was caused by my grandmother's abuse because, you know, abuse creates that kind of uh, reaction sometimes. Wow. But um, I saw a few negative things when I was two years old that I remember that he did that I didn't like. And then my grandmother just built it into that this man was the devil. He was horrible, all this stuff. So I spent most of my life despising and hating this man as much as my grandmother did. And I think the abuse was worse on me from my grandmother because not only did I look like my father I was him in every way I wanted to be an entertainer I wanted to be a performer a comedian a musician uh, an actor all these things that my dad was that she hated so I think that's why I was abused even more severely because she was trying to like literally beat him out of me (laughs) um so my whole life I was been told this narrative that my dad was the devil this horrible person all this kind of stuff I meet him. And when I was a teenager, I got over that until I was a teenager, um, probably like 15, 16. I hated him. I said, if I ever saw him, I'd punch him in the face. Like I had all this anger and resentment just built inside me from my environment. I could imagine. And eventually I just said, it's a waste of time and energy. Why do I care? He's not around. They declared him legally dead. So my mom could divorce him. Like whatever, like let's just continue our lives and go on. Does that happen? How do you, he's just disappeared for so long. They said he's, legally dead yeah so basically what you have to do is you have to put his name in the local newspaper i think it's for like two weeks and if he doesn't respond you can declare him legally dead and get the divorce and all that stuff so that's what my grandmother ended up doing wow as well as changing our names to our family name and not to my father's name so that was another thing i really feel like i got my identity stolen i was raised to be italian i speak fluent italian but yet my dad's from Argentina. He's Italian, but French also. That's where the Jean-Pierre comes from. Uh, he's Spanish, indigenous from Argentina. So I have a, a very cultured background that I wasn't raised with until I met my father. And I, now I know so much more. Wow. You got all so, kinds of stuff going on, man. Yeah, yeah. my life is, man, everybody tells me I should write a book. And I, <laughs> it's going to take me some time. I'm trying to do all these other things. I, I'm sure once my career is at the... Uh, peak then it'll allow me to have time to write a book about all this stuff <laughs> yeah no doubt well we 
we uh, we uh, got a lot more to unfold, but we got to wrap this thing up. I'm thinking we might have to revisit you somewhere down the line because you uh, you got some stories to tell, man. I love it. I think uh, yeah. it's fascinating with all the different stuff that uh, you've run into and 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 are doing. I mean, man, alive! You need this quarantine to end so you can get back at it. Keep that momentum rolling. True. The great thing about me is the last two years before the quarantine, I kind of, it's really strange. I prepped myself for this, uh, you know, unconsciously because, because I was only doing acting, I didn't go out very much. You know, I didn't have a lot of funds. I wanted to save my money. So I ended up staying at home a lot. I worked a few jobs from home for a little bit. So I prepped and got ready and I, I no longer have the negative view of the future. I see it bright. Even when the quarantine started, I said, that doesn't matter. That just means when the quarantine's over, I got to come out swinging. Yeah. I can't get down. And I'm, I'm building a lot right now. Uh, I'm working on a whole rap album about the paranormal. That's my big project right now. <laughs> so it's going to be about ghosts, UFOs, all that stuff, but all rap. So I'm, 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 I have a lot planned for the future for that too. That project's going to be really big. Oh man, that's exciting stuff. Well, listen, man, I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find you and where they can get more information about what you're doing and what you got going on. Yeah, definitely. The main site, everybody is www.mcpr.com. That's the letter M, the letter C, P I E R E dot com. And uh, I have basically all my stuff on there. If you want to follow me on social media, uh, my name is at talented. That's talented with an extra ED. Cause I do so many things. I decided to make up my own word for who I am. So uh, those are my main places that I post stuff, put stuff out and all my content and info and my website has all my links and stuff. So definitely check that out. Wow. That's awesome. Well, we can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, everyone go check out Jean-Pierre Junalie. Is that, Oh, I didn't do it right. Gignoli. Gignoli. I was so close. Sure. Even my phonetic spelling so screwed me up. Jean-Pierre Gignoli. And I find out all the stuff he's got going on. It is a pile and it's very interesting stuff. So we can't thank you enough for all the time, sir. We will check in with you somewhere down the road. So you take care. Same to you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Yeah. All right. That's it. That's the end. That's a wrap. Read the shtick. That's a wrap for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends. If you'd like to reach out, you can use the studio line at 612-504-6500 or by email, the DK Project Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, there's always social media at the DK Project Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.